Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Hey guys, welcome back to another solo episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. It feels weird when I say solo since it's the two of us, but it's just you duo? and me. A duo. A duo. A duo episode. episode. A dueling episode. <laughs> dueling. But we're not dueling. We're in complete agreement with, um, not complete agreement, but we're um, on a each lot other's of agreement. Team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Today is a topic that Danae and I are both very passionate about, so much so that we have created actual retreats around this content, one of which is coming up this weekend as we record this. It's the week of the 21st, and actually this episode we're going to put out this week too, um, June 21st. And that is the topic around self-abandoning. Yeah. I feel like this is sort of our, our passion, and it's the work that both of us feel so passionate about that like all of our work sort of like expands on this topic, right? Like, but it starts with how we are conditioned to self-abandon ourselves um, from birth, right? Like we talk a lot about how all of us as little babies come into this life completely whole. Um, I love to say babies are the gurus. They know everything that we spend the rest of our lives attempting to remember. And then based on whatever our experiences are, our wounds, our family of origin, um, our implicit and explicit messages that we receive, we start to be conditioned out of that original state of wholeness. And ultimately, I think what that ends up looking like showing up as is self-abandonment in one form or another, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I think like to break it down even more, it's like very simply, the way I look at self-abandoning is it's very simple. I, whether consciously or unconsciously, choose to show up in a way that is not authentic to me Mm. in order to be loved or in order to maintain an attachment. Oh, I love how succinctly you just said that, babe. That was beautiful. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, what really was like a a light bulb clarifying moment was when I first heard Dr. Gabor Mate speak Mm -hmm. about, um, you know, the two fundamental needs of human animals and they are attachment, um, and love connection Mm -hmm. and autonomy, um, authenticity, right? So I have attachment on one hand and authenticity on the other hand, and both are fundamental to human existence, but attachment will always trump authenticity, right? right? So what happens is based on the fact that when we're young and especially when we're babies, we know that we need our caretakers for survival. What we start to do early in our lives is we start to learn how to abandon aspects of our authentic selves in order to sustain the attachment to our caregivers. And, you know, so much of the time, the ways that we are conditioned to self-abandon aren't even like conscious or spoken Mm -hmm. or things subtle yeah it's just like these are the things I know on such a like um instinctual level Mm -hmm. that this person needs me to be 
And so I'm going to be that in order to maintain this attachment, in order to maintain their love. Yeah. And so like an example that comes up for me that just like totally popped up, that is something I think a lot of people can relate to. And when we say like subtle and very unconscious, I think I learned very, very young. My mom was a single parent, Mm. super stressed out, you know, bartending to make ends meet, worked a lot. Um, And I think I learned very, very early on that I could not or did not want to add to her stress, Mm -hmm. right? If I added to her stress, what I'm assuming happened, even when I was young and didn't remember it, is I somehow got lashed out at, right? Like whether it was because she got extra stress and she turned it out on me or, you know, snapped at me or or whatever. Um, My mom didn't like hit me or anything, but there are other ways, obviously, that one can lash out. I do it when I'm stressed. And so we learn in that example, I learned very early on to be the good kid. right? Be organized, take care of things, do whatever I can to take stress off of mom's plate so that I can continue to get that love, right? I don't get lashed out at, I don't um, somehow become the target of her uh, stress, right? Mm. And so in that way, you can then see how something like that translates into me being an adult and how that shit still shows up for me. And I still find myself doing that as a form of self-abandonment because I don't want to be the cause of stress, or I want to take stress off of people. And so instead I just put it on myself, put it on myself, put it on myself. Okay. So I love this. So what I think we should do is we should keep building on, um, let's use your example as Mm -hmm. an example of the implicit messaging that we get sometimes in childhood, right? Because your mother didn't actually ever say anything to you. It was instinctual. It was like, you know, you sort of on an empathic level felt this is what she needs me to be. So this is how I will behave in order to keep things at homeostasis, right? So that's the implicit messaging we get. I'll give an example of explicit messaging, right? So I am really open about the fact that I used to struggle with an eating disorder, right? And I think that um, there were all of these ways is that my mom used to sort of like speak about her body and mm-hmm. like in really deprecating ways or like would often like just like really highlight people's bodies, like the emphasis on thinness and, you know, people are worthy when they are thin, right? Um, when they are not thin, that is a problem, right? So explicit messages were around thinness is what we revere, um, not thinness. And if I'm not thin, there's a lot of like self-hatred around that. Right. And right. So- and here's what's important. It's not necessarily, and sometimes it is, but it doesn't, it can still be explicit. Even if your mom never looked you in the face and said, when you're fat, I don't love you. <laughs> right. Like it doesn't have to be that hit you over the head for it to be an explicit message. Yes, absolutely. And, and to my mom's, you know, I don't want to say defense because this is not an attack on her at all, but yeah. um, a lot of times it's not even like the explicit messages about you about to your you, point. Right. It's about um, myself and mm-hmm. what I think makes someone worthy of love. But what I internalized is people are worthy of love when they're thin. Right. right. Um, and you know, that's a whole other conversation because now we understand eating disorders are a lot more to do with control and feeling like my environment is out of control. And so this is the way I I grasp for control. But I think that that ends up being an example of an explicit message. So will you say more about the way that that um, implicit messaging continues or continued to sort of like show up in your life after childhood? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it haunts me to this day, right? I mean, I, I, Look, I mean, I built a career on 
my ability to organize and make shit happen and be structured and, uh, you know, be the good quote unquote employer or whatever, right? I was a producer for those of you guys who, who don't know. Uh, but it's tough for me because it's always been and it's still hard for me to have fun, uh, let go. Um, even when I'm having fun, right? I'm always still like the mom having fun. And that's not just because I have a kid, like I've always been the mom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to turn over control to other people and trust that things are gonna get done uh, in in the quote unquote right way. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a struggle for me to allow people to take care of me uh, and, and not be the one always taking care of people, even though being the one to always take care makes me resentful as all hell. So it's a very double-edged sword, right? That's the thing about self-abandoning though, is that I learned this message early on and it's what maintained, like you said, homeostasis, it's what maintained, um, in my childhood kind of perspective, uh, a a good attachment, right. Mm. When I was younger and yet, I learned it. It became deeply ingrained. It became a habit. Now that I'm an adult, it's still my go-to, right? I have to actively work to dismantle it. The thing is, is that by doing it, it doesn't make me happy. It mm-hmm. actually makes me resentful. It actually makes my relationships suffer because it's not authentic to who I am at my core as a being, right? And so, yeah, I'm really good at it. I mean, it's almost hard for me now because it's been so long to unravel that from who I am as a person. They're so joined at this point, but I always say this when I teach my codependency classes, the feeling of resentment is your, it's your, it's your light bulb. It's your, you know, if we're talking about codependency, I say it's your codependency being activated. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's the tiniest little sniff of resentment. It doesn't have to be full blown, overwhelming resentment. It can be the teeniest amount. It is a flag telling you to stop and pay attention. Something's going on. You are self-abandoning in some way. You wouldn't feel that way if you weren't. And so for me, really, my practice has been around like feeling into that and saying, okay, where is that showing up for me right now? And in many ways, I mean, I have a lot of other things I could go into, but if we're talking about this topic, it is this idea of control. It is this idea of like, I'm trying to make sure that everything and everyone is okay Mm. to the detriment of my own sanity, my own nervous system, my own sense of feeling like I'm okay, right? So that's how it continues to show up for me. I think it's really interesting as I hear you say that, that like fundamentally what it comes back to is control. Mm -hmm. Because I think that so often when it comes to our self-abandonment, it is my attempt to keep myself safe as is, you know, Mm -hmm. so often whatever the human is, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Is some sort of an attempt to keep myself safe and control my external environment, right? Which when we're children, we are sort of sussing out danger, looking around us, um, attempting to keep those caregivers again, close to us. And a lot of times what that looks like is here's how I can get some control. Um, For me, you know, with what I was talking about with the way that I used to struggle with eating, I think that absolutely, again, was about control. A lot of ways it was that, um, God bless her. Um, I had, I had a mother that was very much like, this is the way things should be. This is the way you should be. I often felt very controlled, very, um, you know, yeah, like a lot of like, like if you stepped out of that box, that that would mean that I wasn't loved by her. Right. right? right. Like if I wasn't what she needed me to be, 
then I, and again, this is where it was implicit messaging that, you know, like I could feel her disdain when I did Mm -hmm. something other Mm -hmm. than what she wanted me to do. When I didn't dress the way that she thought that I should dress, um, when I didn't look the way she thought I should look. And that is like the implicit messaging of like, when I gained weight and it was like displeasing, like she never said it, but I could tell in the way Mm -hmm. that she looked at me as a child. Right. Um, and I think, again, it becomes about like, this is something I can control, right? I can restrict my calories. I can get myself down to a size that um, I'm in control of. And that felt like some sort of like reclaiming of power. It was like mm-hmm. in a deeply uh, dysfunctional like or maladaptive way, but it um, that was what it did, right? And it's so interesting because I feel like you and I have been talking so much about masculine feminine dynamics lately Mm -hmm. and what I'm really starting to understand is that you know this thing of being in a controlled state is really like a masculine energy and we talk about this so much in the context of motherhood and how much like the linear thinking and the way that things like um need to be is a very um sort of like masculine controlled Mm -hmm. state right I was very much, you know, I came into this world, I'm starting to understand that we have at our core, like, so basically, all of us have both masculine and feminine dynamics, right? right? Um, An integrated human has made space for both their masculine and their feminine. But most of us live somewhere out of alignment where one of those um, dynamics is um, dominant over the other. And a lot of times, most of us in this society are operating in the space of like a wounded masculine dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. So that means control, narcissism, um, manipulation, all of these like wounded masculine energies that aren't integrated, but are sort of like what our our culture reveres, right? Right. And so I came into the world like this, like deeply feminine core energy, which was, I understand now, very difficult for the women in my family to digest, right? And that is because we have this like really wounded feminine, like core, like feminine. Like, so we talk about the mother wound, which is basically, it's not like our mother has wounded us. It's like what a patriarchal culture does to women is leave them as like wounded mothers, wounded Mm -hmm. feminine energy. And so a lot of the ways that I was conditioned to self-abandon and suppress my inner feminine core was to attempt to control, was to be in this masculine energy of like, I will control and I will rebel in this way. If you want me to be thin, I'll show you. I'll be so thin. I'll barely, you know, I'll barely function. I'm going to be so thin. And so it's just fascinating to me that so often what we're doing in the realm of self-abandonment is an attempt to like get some sort of control over the situation, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, think about that, right? Like if you, if you know, whether again, consciously or not, that you cannot show up simply as you Mm. fully as you, right? If you know that, and if that you has any sort of feminine trait or quality, which again, we all come into this world with, then that is going to be part of what you put into the shadow. That is going to be part of what you lock into the closet and don't look at. Because if you do, there's, you know, disgust and abandonment and um, just all kinds of wounding around that. Right. And so that becomes part of it. I mean, I mean, and control to, to, 
your point, control does tend to be on the more masculine spectrum of, of energy. And so it makes sense that it's all of us running around attempting to control. I don't know. I'm trying to like think through or like talk through this thought that I'm having where like, and as I'm talking and I'm thinking like, does all, this is the first time I've actually thought about this. Does all self-abandoning behavior, because it shows up differently for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Would you say that all of it in some way or another, is there, is there control? Is it laced with control? Now I'm thinking about it <laughs> as we're, um, I mean, maybe not as, ov- maybe not entirely over, but I mean, I guess so, right? Because isn't the idea of like, I'm attempting to regain uh, this attachment. I'm attempting to maintain this attachment. I'm attempting to um, make sure that I'm, I look a certain way. I'm seen a certain way. I show up a certain way in order to maintain this attachment. I mean, isn't that in itself in some way a con- uh, an attempt at control? Isn't that a, a, a controlling behavior? Yeah, I just had an epiphany as you were yeah. speaking. I, this is why I love talking to you yeah. so much. We always are like, this is what we're going to talk about. Oh my gosh, no I just understood something. <laughs> where it's going to go. <laughs> this is beautiful. Because if you think about like these, again, these masculine and feminine dynamics from the wounded space, yeah. they are always about um, being out of the natural order, natural right. flow of of the self and of and, life. Yes. Like it's what I don't trust, right? Like I can, I control what I do not trust. Yeah. So if I don't trust life, then I'm going to attempt to control life. Right. And yeah. that is always from our wounded spaces. The integrated healthy self will be the present self, the self that, um, moves along with the flow of life and source and the intuitive spaces. And so that is always when we've moved up to those more integrated spaces, we let go, we let flow. We're like in the natural rhythm of life. So yeah, I would argue that absolutely that that is almost by definition. Um, I think we self-abandon from a space of our wounded self. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're obviously wounds. That's, that's what's happening. And then when we start to heal, we start to trust ourselves, right? And all of the things that I think we break down in, you know, like the workshops that we do through the retreat are always about like bringing it back to like this inner knowing, this inner trust, like what I know for sure I will always have is me. And that's where I put my my trust and my, um, my belief in. Well, and, you know, not to kind of like belabor or, or kind of beat a dead horse, if you will, around this idea of like, you know, the patriarchy and a lot of these conversations that have been being had for the last couple of years. But the reality is a lot of self-betterment work, a lot of integration work, a lot of um, work around, you know, uh, reestablishing or strengthening the intuition. These are feminine realms. These are Mm. practices designed to tap you into and, and get a better relationship going between you and your more feminine nature. Right. Um, because so many of us do live in this very, very masculine patriarchal society, which trickles down to families, which trickles, trickles down to how we see ourselves, right? It's all connected. And so, you know, it's not to say that we're going to be sitting around in our retreats doing, you know, nothing but like feminine circles and all circles. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, let, let's be real. We've all not all of us, but like, I know you and I have done a couple of those kind of retreats and that's fine. And that they they have their place they're and whatever. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't want people to think that like, that's necessarily what this kind of retreat is. This is actually just more of like an aha. I think that you and I are having, um, but 
you know, we do go into, so let's, so let's plug this, right? Let's, let's talk about the retreat because there's one coming up this weekend. If you haven't, you know, checked it out yet, you can go to either Meyer or Danae's Instagrams, um, or you can just go to my website, vanessabennett.com backslash retreats. Um, and see what's see what it's about, right? We're actually going to be running another one again in a few months. If you don't, if you can't get to, into this one this weekend, and then we're actually going to be planning a an in person at the end of the year, which we're so excited about post COVID, right? Like let's actually touch and hug other humans. Um, but we start out with talking about where does this come from, right? Yeah. Like let's go back. So so we start off with the how is this created? How is this formed, right? Um, the conditioning, we call it. So again, conditioning from society, conditioning from childhood, uh, really understanding, not in a blaming way, but in a, a way that you and I both know from being you know, in depth psychology, the importance of understanding the origin, the importance of understanding the depth um, is that you can't heal what's on the surface until you really get into the nitty gritty of the depth of it, right? Um, so we kind of start there. We spend most of the day Saturday talking about our conditioning, which means we talk about shadow work and we talk about the patriarchy. We talk about this idea of spiritual bypassing, um, which I'm not going to go into too deeply because you just have to join to mm -hmm. enjoy it. Um, we do a little bit of somatic work, right? Like you lead us through some stuff around integration. Like how do we take all of this shit that we just left brained our way through for the day uh, and integrate into our body, right? Yeah. And I think that's what I love about this retreat so much to the point you were making about, you know, sometimes when we, we drop into these spaces that really invite the sacred feminine forward, while it is so beautiful, it can feel difficult to, because like, let me back up. I do believe that the divine feminine is going to be what saves us all. I think healing these like wounded masculine spaces within all of us, women and men, and, and absolutely the wounded feminine spaces. I think that's, what's going to like heal us as a society. And so, by the way, let's talk about the fact really quickly. We're not talking men and women. We're talking masculine, feminine. For those of you who have not heard these, <laughs> these terms before, this has zero, 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 zero percent to do with gender. gender. No, we're not talking gender. We're talking about all of our, all, of, masculine, us. all yep. of our wounded feminine. Cause, cause the women out here have just as much wounded masculine energy as the men do and vice versa. So I know that's right. Yes. yes. No, no. We're talking about like how we start to like really integrate this, um, healthy, feminine, feeling, intuitive, present, right. Um, source-driven energy into our lives, right? But the difficulty with that, I think a lot of times is it's like, it's not tangible. It's not this physical world. Like mm -hmm. we can go and mm -hmm. we can sort of like dance around the moon and that's beautiful. Yes. And we all we all need that energy in our lives. We all go back to our lives on Monday. We go back home and it's like, yeah, but, but now what, right? Because yeah, now right. I'm here and my kid's screaming and my husband's annoying me and now what, right? So right. I think what we do... Um, and certainly like what you do so beautifully is talk about how this shows up in terms of like our codependent tendencies and the ways that it plays out in the physical realm, right? Mm -hmm. And then we sort of like integrate that with, but what are like the higher truths that we know right. about ourselves? How do we bring those in in a tangible way, tools to take home with you so that you can start to like invite the space of remembering over and over and over and over again, the truth of who you are and how you want to hold this um, situation in a way that 
you know, feels like in alignment with the integrity of like your highest truths, right? So I love that it's not just sort of like what some people might say, like, oh, that's great to have like a woo-woo weekend of like mm-hmm. inviting the sacred feminine. Like, no, this is actually, this is how this shows up in a physical, yeah. tangible level. Like, let's let's integrate some tools into our lives so that we can like feel like I'm, I'm feeling better about the way I'm showing up in my relationships and in my world, you know? Right. And that's how we've gotten to broke it up, right? Like we, we do the learning, we do the understanding on day one. What kind of day two? Cause day one is really just us touching base as a group on that first night together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that second full day is all about this. It's all about the, the realm of the living, right? Like how do we actually live tangibly from a space of authenticity? How do we put all of these practices, um, into play, right? And so we have a full day on that. Um, and then, you know, after that, we actually decided last time, kind of on a whim, and we're gonna do the same thing this time if there's, you know, enough interest to do a continuation where we actually do a deep dive uh, with a very small number of people from the retreat where we meet every week, just our small group for six weeks, and we go into some of these topics in even more detail, right? So for those of you guys who come for the weekend and you get like extra hungry to learn more, that's what that six week smaller group is all about. But we can talk more about that when we see your faces. Yeah. I really love the way that this work becomes such an invitation to, to live in a way that I think so many of us now are hungry to live. We've been through this just, um, unbelievably difficult year that has rocked us. I don't care who you are to our Mm -hmm. core and like on an existential level of like, what do you believe about this life? Who do you want to be in this life? How do you want to show up? And um, it just feels like such an exciting time to be alive and have us really um, ready to do this inner work. You know, I feel like more than any other time, I don't know about you, but like in my life, it feels like on a collective level, we are just so hungry to live more authentically, to um, be in this space of like, yeah, where have I self-abandoned? And now how can I be in my skin in a space of just like deep self-acceptance and and knowing, yeah, the highest truth of who I am. It's like, oh my gosh, so beautiful. We're like putting down the highlight reels, putting down the facades and the personas and just really starting to get real with one another as a human race to me. And it's, it's beautiful, you know? I mean, it's like the double-edged sword of social media, right? I'll I'll talk all day about how it drives me nuts, how we're on social 24-7 and can't be present and connected with people in real life. And it's done an amazing way. It's done an amazing job at like connecting people and bringing people together to, to I guess, work through or have a diff- different understanding or deeper understanding of these kind of concepts that we're talking about. And I will credit it with that a lot, you know, because we, so many people that you and I have come into contact with, we never would have if it weren't for this social space, right? Or for podcasting or whatever. So, oh, double-edged yeah, sort of real. technology, but that's another conversation entirely. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, I'm grateful for all of you who are listening. And I would like to request that you check out again, through either our Instagram or my website, the info about the retreat so that we can, I guess, see you in person. Well, in person via Zoom, in person at the end of the year in our real retreat, our like real live in-person retreat. Um, And just go deeper with us. You know, let's talk about this shit. Let's do it. 
I'm just, I'm so excited because I feel like last time was just such a deeply healing experience for all of us. I think, you know, what, what I always take away from any of the time that we gather in these spaces is that like all of us are feeling the exact same things. We are all so connected, all the ways we think we're alone in our shame or in our pain or in our conditioning. Um, we are never alone. We are like, if I'm feeling it, somebody else is feeling it too. And there's just something so powerful about being witnessed in this way and holding space for one another in this way. So it's going to be amazing. I already know. I already can feel it. And I just can't wait to do it again. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.